0: Before we get started today, I wanted to make you aware of a really cool opportunity that we have as a church to not just make a difference in our community, but uh, literally around the world. One thing that we've learned in this Rewired series is that God's kingdom is accessible and available to not just some people, but all people, right? Right. And perhaps you're aware that there's recently been a surge of people from other countries who have migrated to the Evansville area. Approximately 2,000 people uh, who, have, who, who were born in another country live within a three-mile radius of this campus. Now, of those 2,000 individuals, there is a really good chance that they are going to leave our country and go back to their native country at some point in the future. And so what that means for us is that we have a really good opportunity, a narrow opportunity to make a huge impact that could literally ripple all across the globe. Now, if you've ever lived or been in a foreign country before, you know that you have two basic needs before you. And that is to to have friends and to know how to effectively communicate in that culture, right? Right. And so we're starting something this September here at Crossroads called Friends Speak that will help our neighbors find what they're looking for in this unfamiliar uh, environment. Now this is the method that we're going to try out to, to love, to engage, and tell people about how much God loves them. And so coming up on August 28th from 2 to 5 p.m. Uh, back in the chapel, we are going to be facilitating a training for those of you who are interested in being a part of this. Being a friend, all right, and teaching these people. how to effectively communicate uh, in our society. Now, you need to know that no prior experience before attending this training is needed. The only requirement is that you love people and that you can speak the English language quite well. Now, that means that if you hate people, all right, or if you were born in Kentucky, (laughs) uh, this might be more of an obstacle uh, for our, our neighbors, all right? So that means I'm out. Because I was born in Kentucky, all right? No strings attached, and uh, if you don't like what you see or or hear, uh, there's no permission, uh, there's no pressure to join. And so you can actually see a table out in the lobby directly after service uh, for more information about this if you want to be a part of this really cool opportunity called uh, Friends Speak. Now today what we're doing is we're wrapping up this series that we've been in for the past two months called Rewired, where we've been looking at something that Jesus talked a lot about throughout the course of his life called the Kingdom of God. Now, what we've been doing in this series is looking at this kingdom thing that Jesus talked about by looking at a really famous talk that he gave on a hillside about 2,000 years ago. Now, if you're lost already, here's how we've been defining the kingdom of God in this series. It, It goes like this, that the kingdom of God is the reign of God, all right, where all creation is reclaimed and restored. Now, one thing that we've consistently seen in this series is that God's kingdom is not just to come, but it's here right now. It's here, but it's not here in its fullest form yet, if that makes sense. And so, in other words, the best is yet to come. If we have chosen to become citizens in this greater kingdom, all of a sudden this world becomes our temporary house and, and our home is in heaven. It is a place yet to come. And so in the meantime, this restoration process that we undergo when we choose to become citizens in this kingdom is is kind of like invisible, all right? It takes place in, in your heart. It's not always seen on the outside. Now, one of the main themes that that Jesus communicated in the message that day on a hillside was that God is more interested in your heart than your behavior. Why? Because on the inside is where our character and integrity is developed. And so eventually what's going on on the inside will make itself known on the outside. You see, God is not not deceived by our actions in themselves. He sees right through them. Now, let's have a little confession time here for, for just a moment. Now, all of us in here have probably driven down a road where the speed limit should be much higher than it really is, right? I mean, we've been speeding and all of a sudden a police officer comes into your peripheral and so what do you do if you're in that situation? Yeah, you, you slam on your brakes, right? All right, by brief show fans, how many of you have done that before but then after the police officer is out of sight, you pick right back up to it speed me that you were going? Yeah, all of us in here. This is a spiritual gift of my wife. All right. I mean, she is an expert at doing this. And and that's kind of a picture of what it means to miss the point to, to outwardly do the right thing yet inwardly be out of place. And so in this message Jesus Jesus says that it's only a matter of time until what's going on on the inside makes itself known on the outside. About six years ago, my dad had parked his car in their driveway to his usual parking place. He walked inside their home and and sat down on the couch to relax for a little bit. About 15 minutes later, their entire house shook. He heard a loud boom and, and the sound of glass shattering. It kind of startled him a little bit. And so he went outside to see what had happened. Well, as he stepped foot out on their front porch, he was surprised to see that a massive walnut tree had completely crushed his car, fallen right on top of his vehicle. Now, this caught my dad by surprise because it was a crisp September afternoon. The sky was blue. The sun was out. There was a slight breeze, but nothing to be concerned about. And on top of all that, the tree that had fallen on top of my dad's car looked sturdy. I mean, it looked strong. But you see, the closer my dad got to it, it became evident that this tree had been rotting away for years. And so although it had the appearance of looking strong and secure on the outside... All it took was a little bit of wind for that thing to come crashing down. You see, wind has that effect upon things, right? I mean, wind will will test the resolve, the strength and, and security of a foundation, of a core. And so while things may look good and put together on the outside, wind will show you what's really been going on on the inside. You see, whenever the tree comes crashing down in people's lives around us, we typically respond by saying things like, I, I didn't know that she was capable of doing that. Or I didn't see that coming in his life. Or, or what was he thinking? I thought he was better than to make that choice, that decision. Why? Because for so long they've maybe had the appearance of looking put together. But then in that moment, but that decision that they made, that choice that they made, all of a sudden what had been going on inwardly was made, made itself known outwardly. And so I find it really interesting that Jesus ended his talk that day on the on the hillside by by saying, "Hey, it's really important that you decide to build upon a firm foundation." It, it all goes back to that. And so in this series, what we've done is, is we've looked at the introduction of Jesus' talk that day by by looking at what, what Jesus how Jesus describes citizenship in his kingdom. And so what we're going to do uh, for the next few moments is is kind of bookend that talk by looking at how Jesus concluded his message. All right. By by looking at his conclusion, how he landed the plane Uh, there on the hillside that day. And so if you have your Bibles or Bible app, I want you to go ahead and jump to the New Testament book of Matthew, all right? Uh, If you don't own a Bible, there's a black Bible right in front of you. That's our gift to you. If you're worshiping with us back in the chapel, it's right on that table as you walked in uh, a moment ago. Uh, Today we're going to be in chapter 7 of Matthew. Now understand as you're turning there that the book of Matthew serves as a biography on the life of Jesus, okay? And so Matthew was a really close friend of Christ. And so what he did was he recorded different things that Jesus said things that he taught, things that, that he did. Why? So that we today and people even back then would know that Christ really was who he said he was, that he was God in the form of flesh. And so where we pick up today, we um, realize that, that up until this point, Jesus had spent a considerable amount of time in his message talking about, again, how he's more concerned about motives. He's more concerned about our heart desires and emotions than our actions because Inwardly, our, our disobedience and our behavior originates on the inside. And so from lust to greed to murder, Jesus said that outward disobedience begins right here in the heart. In another part of this sermon, Jesus taught about money. He taught about marriage and how we're free to not worry about anything in this world. But before Jesus walked away from the mountainside that day, here's how he concluded things. Check out what he says, verse 24. It's like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. So when the wind came, the, the walnut tree came tumbling on top of the car, even when it had the appearance of being strong. Now Jesus purposely ended his talk by contrasting the two different approaches to life. He said that everybody is either building their life on rock, which is stable and secure, Or we're building our life on sand. I mean, notice how the two builders that Jesus contrasted here in this moment, they had a lot of similarities, right? I mean, they both heard Jesus' words. They both were building something. They both were building homes. And yet, both of them also encountered a storm. The only difference between these two builders was the kind of foundation that they were building upon. Now, chances are, if... You were to go to someone's home after you leave here today, and and you were to arrive at their home for the first time, the first thing that you would want to see in their home probably isn't their foundation, right? I mean, you can look at a lot of different features in a house that might impress you, but a foundation's not going to rise to the top, right? Why? Because a foundation is boring, it's unseen, and yet a home without a good foundation is almost unsellable. Ask any home expert. It's the most important part of the house that in time will affect all er other areas of the home. And so Jesus said here, hey, look, choosing to follow me, choosing to become a citizen in my kingdom, all right, is like building a house on a firm foundation of rock that will never fail, it will never give away. And so the question that we're going to ask ourselves right now is this, what, what does a life on the rock really look like for us? Well, according to what Jesus said, the first feature goes like this. That life on the rock is intentional. Life on the rock is intentional. And you might want to write this down if you're taking notes on your app or or your bulletin. I want you to notice again how Jesus said that both builders heard his teaching that day. He he was predicting that many in the audience would walk away inspired. They'd walk away motivated. But some wouldn't walk away changed or, or transformed And yet realize that these people chose to be there. They they weren't just skeptical of Christ. They were committed. Look at how Matthew describes the original audience in Matthew chapter 5. He says, Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. And so that was his audience. They were his his disciples. All right? These weren't just people who were skeptical of who Jesus was or, or were on the fringe. Now, that word disciple, if you are discipled, all right, that means that you are learning or you are absorbing information by experience and by applying that information to your life. But it's as if, that Jesus, it's as if Jesus saw right through that, and he knew that even those who were committed would be fickle, even those who were closest to him. You see, choosing to be a citizen in God's kingdom is is not just about a one-time decision that you make to to enter. No, following Christ is so much more than that. It's about remaining with him and growing in him as life goes on and progresses. Now, there's this tendency to think that that all Jesus wants of us is is for us to receive the gift of salvation that he offers. And then you just kind of move on with your life and, and put Jesus at an arm's distance I mean, after all, you've raised your hand, you've repeated the prayer, you got baptized, and you occasionally attend church. I mean, what more does Christ want from you? I mean, what more could there be? Now, time out here for just a second. It is totally impossible to earn a right relationship with God. There's nothing that we can do to kind of outbalance the scales in our life, to undo all the bad and the sin that we've done. I mean, it's totally impossible on our part. That's why we don't deserve it, therefore it is God and God only who can save us by sending his son Jesus to absorb all the consequences that we deserve because of the sin in our life. And so when you accept that offer of what Jesus provides, it doesn't just stop there, actually it's only the beginning I want you to think about it like this. How good of a relationship with my wife, Savannah, do you think I would have if all I believed I needed to do in our relationship was was go through our wedding and then after that kind of do what I wanted and and move on with life? I mean, I would have a terrible relationship with her, right? Right? Why? Because our relationship, our marriage, is more than a few-hour event. While a wedding is important, while a wedding kind of signifies the beginning moment of when you enter into that relationship, when you say yes to each other, really, it's only the start. It's so much more than that. And so for our relationship to grow and to develop and to deepen, it requires hard work every single day. It requires that me as her husband, that I am called to pursue her and to sacrifice for her. Right? You can't just wake up one day and accidentally be close to your spouse. It, it takes work. And so the same is true with Jesus. The Yes, the wedding that you have with Jesus, the moment that you say yes is important. But you see, for you to have any kind of developing, growing, deepening relationship with him, it requires work, it requires effort on our part every single day to work out the gift that we've been given, to, to make it known in our life. And Jesus said it like this. Again, let's look at his words. Matthew chapter 7. He said, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, keyword, is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Now, that word practice in the original Greek can also mean discipline or, or exercise. And, and one of the words in the Greek that we sometimes translate this word as uh, is actually where we get the word gymnasium from, okay? And so Jesus is saying that, that following him requires training and, and, and work. It's more than just hearing and absorbing information. Life on the rock requires doing what Jesus said matters most. I want you to imagine with me for for just a moment that my family and I go on a month-long vacation, and we invite a young couple to come over to our house and house it for us while we're gone for the month. And so they arrive at our house the day that we are to leave, and and we have prepared this detailed, long, 15-page notebook for them to kind of guide them on how to properly care for our home while we are away. Now, I say that we prepared it. That's really probably not accurate because I would never piece together something so detailed, all right? probably more my wife Savannah would do. And so Savannah has written together this notebook of, of how to care for our home. And, and so in that notebook, we, the couple sits down at our table, and, and we show them the different pl- uh, plants that need to be watered and, and how to properly care for the plants while we're gone. And again, we've written it all out there in the notebook. We then introduce this couple to to our our golden retriever, Valley. And we say, hey, here's Valley. She's a good dog. She needs to be fed twice a day, one cup of food each day. Make sure she always has plenty of water. She's a a very affectionate dog because she's a golden retriever. And and so make sure that you pet her frequently. And even though your hand is going to smell like a moldy bowling alley afterwards, all right, make sure that you give her plenty of attention. We then walked a couple upstairs to our upstairs bathroom and we say, hey, this toilet here has a tendency to overflow. You just have to watch it if you use it. And if it starts to overflow, here's the water shutoff valve. And, and if it starts to overflow, you, you make sure that you turn it off. We, we've written this down, okay, in the notebook. We then take them outside where our trash goes. We say, hey, here on this day is when the trash goes out. Make sure that it's always by the curbside. I then take them back to the garage where I show them the lawnmower. And I say, the front and the backyard needs to be mowed. And here's the kind of gas that this mower requires. Make sure that you mow it at least seven days. Again, it's right there in the notebook. All right, so before we leave that day, we hand the notebook over to the couple, and they say to us, hey, thank you so much. This is great information. This is really going to be helpful. You guys go and enjoy your time away. And so we pull out of the driveway, and and we vacation together as a family, and we have a really good time. Now, fast forward 30 days, and we pull back up to our house. We pull into our driveway, and we see that the trash is spilling out of the garbage cans right by the garage. All of our plants and flowers have died. Evidently, they didn't really water the flowers. And and, and our front yard is about a foot high, which is about the frequency of how I mow it. But uh, uh, evidently, they didn't listen to me quite well. And so my wife and I are a little bit frustrated at this point. We walk inside our house, but we can barely get in because it's full of water. And so we look up the stairs, and and the toilet has been overflowing, and it's continuously overflowing. And, And obviously, they didn't shut off the water when the They used it last. And and so we're really frustrated at this point. But then at that particular point in time, I look out the back window and I see something out in the yard that I can't really make out what it is. And it's a tombstone the more I look at it because that's where they buried our dog. I mean, evidently they didn't feed her or give her water like we asked them to do. Now, let me ask you, how would you feel at this particular point in time? I mean, pretty frustrated, right? Right. Just at that time, say the couple pulls up in our driveway and they say, hey, we're so glad to have you back. How was vacation? And so I respond by saying, what, what did you do while we were gone? Where's the notebook? And so the guy then pulls out the notebook and he says, hey, this was a great notebook. We loved this notebook. This notebook was so inspiring and motivating. It was so full of such detailed information. I got to tell you, I even memorized parts of this notebook, Right. In fact, my wife and I, you didn't ask us to do this, but we started reading each other parts of this notebook before we go to bed at night. We even had friends over to our house where we talked about the notebook. and, And see, look, we even highlighted different parts of the notebook, and we circled different words of the notebook. What would you say if he said that to you? I mean, away from me, evildoer, right? I mean, what were you thinking? I would tell them to get off our property. Why? Because they committed to being there. They assumed responsibility to care for our home while we were away. And yet they didn't do anything that we asked them to do. You see, the purpose of that notebook was not for them to absorb information. The purpose of that notebook was for them to just do what it said to do. Arthur Gordon said it like this. Nothing is easier than saying the words, and nothing is harder than living them day after day. And so Jesus ended the Sermon on the Mount by drawing a distinction between those who say and those who do. He drew a line in the sand between those who hear and those who take action. And so let me ask you, are you putting into practice what Jesus said to do? And do you listen and hear his word and do what it says, or, or have you settled for just reading it Let's get a little bit more personal with this. When someone makes a mistake, criticizes you, offends you, or treats you unfairly, how do you respond? Do you want to get back at them? Do you try to let them have it? Or do you take a step back, restrain yourself, and remember the words of Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount when he said, hey, if, if you judge other people, remember that the same measurement that you use towards others will be used to you. Let me ask you this, does the idea of accumulating more things consume a lot of your thoughts and energy throughout the day? Do you, do you find yourself spending lots of hours each week searching the Internet for more toys or better outfits? Or, or do you hold the things of this world loosely, enjoying possessions in moderation? That's fine. But also remembering what Jesus said when he said, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moss and rust destroy and then where thieves break in and steal. When the doctor called you back into the office for more tests, how did you respond? Did you immediately go into panic mode? Did did you jump to the worst-case scenario? Or or did you take a deep breath, begin reciting the promises of God, and even though you don't feel like it, did you choose to dwell on the words of Jesus when he said, hey, don't worry about your life, I've got you covered? I mean, how much am I going to care for you? I I care for the birds of the air. How much more am I going to care for you as your heavenly Father? You see, living and remaining on the rock means that we intentionally give Jesus not a part of us, but all of us. Here's the other feature that I want us to see this morning, and it goes like this. That life on the rock is difficult. (laughs) Life on the rock is difficult. Last week we learned that sometimes following Jesus doesn't end well here for us in this world and look again at Jesus illustration in Matthew and, and let's just highlight the circumstances of both builders the rain came down the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house and yet it didn't fall and let's go to verse 27 this is the circumstance for the person who built on sand the rain came down the streams rose the winds blew and beat against the house same result all right different foundation and though both builders built on completely different foundations what they faced in life was the exact same I mean, the rain poured on both men who built on sand and the one who built on the rock. And so maybe here's a better way to look at this: that your foundation, all right, your foundation won't change your circumstances as much as it can change the way that you respond to your circumstances. I want to write that down, that your foundation won't change your circumstances as much as it can change the way that you respond to your circumstances. Jesus doesn't promise us to exempt us from a lot of pain and grief, but if we build on the promises of his word, it can change our response. A friend of mine says it like this, that that Jesus promises a storm-proof life, but not a storm-free life, and there's a big difference. See, storms have a way of revealing our foundation, don't they? I find it really interesting that Jesus preached this message right on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. I actually went there about six years ago, and and don't picture an ocean, picture a really big lake, and and all along the shoreline of the Sea of Galilee are our little sandy beaches. Now during the summer months on the Sea of Galilee, the the sediment of the sand kind of binds together and it gets really hard, and if you were to walk on the beach during the summer months, it, it might have the appearance and the feel of concrete. But for any wise builder, he would know better than to trust the temporary condition of the sand for the summer months. Why? Because he knows that the winter season is right around the corner, and for wintertime in Israel, it brought a lot of rain. It was their rain season, okay? And, and so what the rain did was it not only broke up the sediment of the sand and moistened it and, and made it real mushy, but what it also did was it, it brought water into the Jordan River and it overflowed into the Sea of Galilee, which then caused a bunch of flooding, And so when Jesus preached this message that day, he was basically saying that a life on the rock, a life on the rock is determined by someone's ability to see beyond the illusion of the moment. Now let's be fair in here for just a moment. Nobody intends to build their life on sand, right? I mean, I have yet to meet that person who wakes up looking for a way to destroy their marriage. I mean, nobody aims at walking around life bitter and cynical, right? Right? I mean, there is no parent in here who would say, hey, my goal is for my child to grow up and, and be a candidate for the Jerry Springer show, all right? No, nobody intends to do that. I mean, that's not any of our intentions. And, and yet, if we look around us, that happens for a lot of us. And here's the problem. A life that's been built on the sand is usually only obvious after the storm has come and everything has fallen apart, Right? I mean, when the sun was out, when the sky was blue, the sand, it seemed stable. It's what other people were doing. You see, life on the sand says, I I was just following my heart. I just felt like what I knew to do best. But you see, on the other hand, life on the rock requires that we be willing to be different, sometimes lonely, and do what no one else is doing You see, life on the rock can be difficult during storms, there's no doubt about it. But Jesus promised that those storms we encounter in this temporary house, in this world, would only be temporal. And so people who have this strong foundation know what's true, all right, and they decide to act upon truth in spite of how they feel, in spite of their circumstances, especially when the winds begin to blow in their life. And maybe right now you've walked in here today and and you're just walking in a very discouraged season of life. You've graduated from college. You've landed a good job. You have an apartment all by yourself. And yet every single month it seems like you're attending a wedding that's not your own. You You don't even have a boyfriend. You haven't had a date in years. And so life on the rock for you means maintaining standards and not settling for someone less, even when it may be tempting to do otherwise. Perhaps you're, you're dreading dropping off your youngest at college for the freshman year next month. I mean, you know that when you get back home, the home is gonna, your house is going to seem a little bit too quiet. And you'll be prone to worry yourself sick about how your son or daughter is doing on campus. And, and so what does life on the rock look like for you? It means taking every worry, every concern and anxiety and trusting the one who holds all things together and believing even when you don't feel like it that, that he is going to be faithful. Maybe you were recently demoted at your company for reasons you still don't understand, and so rightfully so, you feel upset, you feel betrayed, you're a little bit confused. And so what does life on the rock look like for you? What's about still working hard, going the extra mile, doing the best that you can, regardless of your title, all the while choosing to believe that your identity is greater than your role in the office? We've all got storms, right? All of our storms look different. But you see, all storms do the same thing for us. And how we respond to them reveals what we've been revolving our life around. They expose the placement of our hope and our trust. You see, when we build on a kind of ground that is sinking, we feel insecure, we're naturally fearful, we want to control our circumstances, we want to control everything. We always feel like we are the victim of our circumstances. We're prone to developing bad habits during this time so that we can escape the pain what if God has a better way? And what if storms not only revealed our foundation, but what if they had the potential to to strip us of the illusion of sand so that we can get back onto the rock? You know, as a pastor, I often enter into people's lives after the storm has raged and, and a person or a family member is left just picking up the pieces of their home and And i got to tell you, it can be really painful to witness firsthand the consequences of certain choices and decisions that the sand brings upon people and individuals. Yet it's when the house gets flattened that we can be broken of our pride and recognize our need for grace. Let me encourage you with this, if that's where you're at. That sometimes we won't build on the rock until we realize how fleeting it is to build on sand. Sometimes we won't make the decision to apply and listen and and do what God says to apply his promises to our life until we realize that we really can't trust ourselves. We can't trust our intuition, our feelings. We have to do what's different. One of my best friends uh, since high school is named Garrison. We grew up in Louisville together. and, And Garrison is now a pastor out in the Los Angeles area. As I was writing this talk, I kept thinking about Garrison's dad, Gary. Gary has shared his story with our home church and and has actually written his story in a book and and has shared his story many, many times publicly. And I just want to read to you in Gary's words how he described what the moment was like for him when he realized that he had been building his life on sand and that he needed to get back onto the rock. And here's what Gary said. The judge said guilty. As I sat in front of his seat, I started to cry. I heard the judge say something about jail time and I sobbed even harder. An officer handcuffed me and and took me to jail. I spent a few days there trying to figure out what had happened to my life. I mean, how did it come to this? I had reached the pinnacle of my career as a pilot for UPS. I had everything going for me, Gary said. Having left my wife in 1993, I didn't have anyone weighing me down. I had money, I had girls, I had a great job and friends. I mean, everything that a guy could want. But then I got caught at work stealing airline tickets. I didn't know how much my job had meant to me until the night I was fired. When I went in that night, they didn't just take my badge, they took away my entire identity. I felt like I was dying, but, but just because I had lost my job didn't mean that I was giving up my lifestyle. I'm a hard-headed guy. <laughs> and so I started missing child support payments. They gave me warnings that I better pay up, but before being sentenced, I thought that I was untouchable. That day in court was a major wake-up call for me. It was evident that that I had been constructing my life on sand. Well, after my jail time, I I stayed in a halfway home. I lived out of a duffel bag. I was allowed to work, but I wasn't allowed to to drive. I ended up working in a bagel shop. Some days I'd actually run into coworkers from UPS. I can't describe the shame that I felt. Gary then says, I know what I'm about to say doesn't make sense. It's totally counterintuitive, but it was during this time that everything I had worked for was dead and sinking that I, started to, that I started to finally discover true life. With nowhere else to turn, I returned to the faith of my youth. And for the first time, Jesus became real to me. I started saying no to me and, and yes to Christ every single day. Gary says, every, every day I need God to guide me and, As I seek to live completely for him, I now mentor young men who have been incarcerated. Only God could take that kind of mess and turn it into a story about grace and redemption. You see, for Gary, and for me, and for each of us in here, sometimes we won't choose to build our life on the rock until we realize how fleeting it is to build on sand. Isn't that a lot of our stories? i got to tell you, lately, when I've been developing a, a habit that whenever I feel down, discouraged, empty, or sad, that, that I recite a certain passage in Scripture, it doesn't come naturally for me. Sometimes I have to discipline myself, but it's from Hebrews chapter 12. And, and you've probably heard the verse before if you've been in church. And here's what the Hebrew writer says. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him, consider Jesus, who endured such storms, who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. And what if when we all got up out of here in just a moment, and the storm continues to intensify in our life, when we learn to keep our eyes on Jesus... I mean, what if that is the most important decision that we can make every single day of our life? You know, throughout Scripture, Jesus is portrayed as a rock. He's portrayed as a cornerstone. And and so what that means is that he alone is the one who is immovable. He is secure. He is steady. He doesn't change. He doesn't move. In fact, Hebrews later goes on to say that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is constant. He is secure. He is stable. He's immovable. And so what that means is that in all his sovereignty, in all his foreknowledge, he is not disappointed by our sin. He is not caught off guard by a decision that we make. Instead, only he is strong enough to carry our shame. Only he can look at our guilt and offer us cleansing. Only he can purify us from all unrighteousness. Christ alone can free us. Christ alone can carry the burden that we have been carrying around for us. Why? Because he is strong. I've asked the band to come out here and sing a song called Cornerstone. And and if you've been here, we've sung it before and you might be somewhat familiar with it. But this song was actually inspired by, by another song that was written back in the 19th century called My Hope is Built on Nothing Less. And one line in that song goes like this, on Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. And so what I want us to do here in just a moment is the words are up on the screen and as the band sings this song, I want you to make this your prayer. I want this to, make, I want this to be your declaration that, that in spite of your circumstances, you're gonna go back to the rock, the cornerstone, Jesus. And, and so you can express yourself in the next few moments in a way that you, you feel comfortable. You can stand, you can raise your hands, you can sit down, you can pray, you can just reflect on the words on the screen. You, you, you do what you need to do. There's, there's no pressure to act anyway in these, these next few moments. perhaps you're here today and you're looking for a next step in your relationship with Jesus that, hey, what you've heard just isn't enough. And and so here's one thing that I want to put before you. Next week we'll begin a brand new series called Lost in Translation where we as a church are going to learn how to effectively communicate with God. And we're going to do this by going through different Psalms and Scripture. The truth is, we we all have moments in our life where God seems distant, silent, absent, and we've all been frustrated with God before in our life. And so it's in this series that we're going to learn to to not only be known by God, but to know him. And and so I just challenge you to come back and and commit to being here for that series as as we learn to to develop this relationship uh, with God. All right, so let's all stand up. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to sing two more songs, and then we'll get out of here. God, I know that a lot of us have walked in here today and the wind is blowing and the rain is pouring and if we look down, we we can see right before us that our foundation is just being washed away. Why? Because we've been building our life upon ourselves, we've been building our life upon something that is temporary and yet Jesus, as you've reminded us today, only you are stable, only you are secure, only you will never disappoint us. And so will you just remind us as as we get up out of here to not just hear those words, to not just listen, to not just absorb a bunch of information, but to intentionally choose to build our life upon you, Jesus, the cornerstone. For it's in your name that we pray and sing and worship now. Amen.
1: Hi, I'm Andy. Here's a few things that are coming up here at Crossroads. Crossroads is dedicated to building up leaders in the community and having a positive influence in the world we live in. That's why we have partnered with Tri-State Leaders of Evansville to bring the Global Leadership Summit here. This two-day conference is packed with leaders that will teach us how to be successful in our businesses and lives. The Global Leadership Summit is August 11th and 12th and we at Crossroads have special pricing for our church family. Just go to cccgo.com slash events to find more details about what speakers are attending and to sign up with the Crossroads discount. We're a few weeks away from our fall kickoff, and there are lots of changes that are happening and we don't want you to miss out on. Grade promotions will start the weekend of August 13th and 14th, so if your child is going from 8th grade to 9th grade, they will be able to be a part of the high school services and events starting on August 13th and 14th. Middle school services are also going to change. Middle school will only have services on Sundays at both normal Sunday times, 9 a.m. and 10.45 a.m. in Room 222. This means there will be no middle school services on Sunday nights. High school students have some changes as well. They're moving their services from Sunday nights to Wednesday nights from 7 p.m. to 8.30 p.m. The first service in the new time for the high school will be Wednesday, August 17th. For more information on these events and the many others that are happening here at Crossroads, you can check out your bulletin or go online to cccgo.com.